This week on the Unabated Podcast, Jack and I sit down with Andrew Mack, author of Statistical Sports Modeling in Excel, to talk about sports betting, stock markets, how the two relate, spawning inefficiencies in both, and so much more. It is a fantastic conversation. Let's get to it. It's the guy goes unabated. That's the new word, unabated. That's two bigger words. That's like mayonnaise. I'm assuming that's Hello, everyone, and welcome on into the Unabated Podcast. I'm Thomas Viola, and joining me, as always, Mr. Unabated himself, Captain Jack Andrews. Jack, it is great to be here with you today. We have a fantastic show. Very excited for our guest, Andrew Mack. We're going to talk more about him in a minute. But first, the brutal, brutal stretch that is playing long teasers in the NFL continues to prattle on. Um, at this point, I really want to give up on him. I've been doing great with the props for anyone listening. Check out Fridays at noon on our YouTube channel. Uh, I sit down with Derek Cardi from the Blitz. We go over some props for the week. It's been a good prop year so far. Noon Pacific time. Noon Pacific. Yes. But the teasers have been brutal. And I was talking with you about them earlier this week. And you said something that really got me going. You pointed out that there's a possibility that long teasers aren't even actually efficient given the fact that we have a had so many rule changes over the years and b haven't played enough football to have an actual meaningful sample size when it comes to these and that was just a wild concept to think about that even with how much football we've played with how far we've gone back and yes the game has evolved but do you really think that there is a possibility here that there simply just will never be enough sample size due to how few games are played season to season and the rules change and evolve too quickly. Yeah. I, I remember that conversation, Tom, I was just giving you a lot of ideas so that you see that there are so many factors involved. Mm -hmm. None of not single one of them that I think was the cause that Wong teasers aren't performing as well this year. I truly believe it's just variance this year. Yeah. Um, and when you look at it, from like a macro view over the course of the season, they're hitting at about wow. where they should be hitting. So it's not really, they're not that far off. It's just that the fact that you kind of need them all to hit in the same time for them to perform uh, profitably for you. But, uh, it, you. but the point remains, we play so little football, 272 games a year of NFL football, and it, rules do change. Now, we haven't had major rule changes in the past one or two years, uh, but, you know, it, it still bears the fact that just a couple hundred games a year and then a subset of that actually qualify as Wong teasers, uh, you can result in some seemingly inefficient market type things. Yes. I, I wasn't trying to suggest that just because of the bad run that we've been having on them that, oh, it's time to throw out, it's time to throw out the entire concept of the Wong, but it was just an interesting thought about the efficiency of the market as a whole and how small the sample size we get combined with how much the NFL evolves year over year and how much things change. It was just an interesting thing to think about. And, you know, market efficiency is really on the brain right now because tonight's show is well, today's podcast, tonight's show, whatever, is really a lot about market inefficiencies, market efficiencies, spotting them and spotting them, not just in sports betting, but also in the stock market as well. Uh, our guest tonight is going to be Andrew Mack and you were really jazzed for this one. Yeah. This was another one where I'm a little bit of a fanboy. 
Uh, I have a bookshelf in my office here and it goes from floor to ceiling. And on the top shelf of my bookshelf is the, the top shelf stuff, right? And in my case, uh, my top shelf has uh, Beyond Counting, Beyond Counting CAA, um, Sharp Sports Betting is up there. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of AP books up there that are the, the, the creme de la creme, right? Ed Thorpe's book is up there, my autographed copy of Ed Thorpe's book. Uh, but here are two books from my my top shelf. And this is Statistical Sports Models in Excel uh, Volumes 1 and 2, which Andrew wrote a few years back. I think they're excellent. We're going to get into discussion with him as to why they're excellent. And it's more of the theory behind them that is the, the excellent part. But Andrew Mack is – he's – He's like a man of all seasons because he has, and we're going to talk a little bit about that, his his journey from university to sports better and every all the stops in between. Um, but he, he we really get into an in-depth conversation here, and I think it's going to be beneficial for a lot of betters or a lot of financial market uh, aspirational sharps. And we'll, we'll get to that in the interview. So let's uh, let's kick it off. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome on into the show, author of Statistical Sports Models in Excel, Volumes 1 and 2, joining us from what appears to be high in the Rockies, Andrew Mack. Andrew, thank you so much for being with us here. Thanks, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here. Nice to see you again, Jack. Hey, nice to see you, Andrew. Uh, we did a we did a live stream together back in the height of the pandemic, I believe it was you, me, and Plus EV Analytics, who we've also had on the podcast recently. Uh, so that was, yeah, that was a few years ago, but it's good to have you back on here. Uh, you know, I'll start out the questions. So you wrote the books, Statistical Sports Models in Excel, and I thought they were great books. I've talked about them many times to whoever will listen to me. Uh, they were very informative. It was a great way to get involved into sports modeling. I thought there was a lot of ideas in the book. Uh, so many people did step-by-step -step with the book. Personally, I read it through and just you know, sponged up some of those ideas. Uh, how was your experience writing these books? Writing the books was very interesting, actually, because I learned more about my own process than I expected to. Um, I'm sure there are a number of familiar, almost cliche quotes about how writing helps you sort of formalize your own thinking process or your own um, way of doing things. And, and it really did help for me to, to crystallize kind of my betting, like kind of 30,000 foot view overarching process. So that was kind of a, that was kind of a nice surprise actually, because you, you're really forced to get rid of, you know, excess or things that, that don't quite fit and put things in the right order as, because when you teach someone else, you have to make it as clear as possible. Um, so I found that to be um, an unexpected upside to writing a book. Um, other than that, it was a whole lot of coffee and some long hours and just crushing it out and then and then editing it. But as I said in the books, a lot of those models were things that I was no longer using. And so that part wasn't difficult. Like I didn't have to come up with the models. I, I already had them and I had moved on to better things. So it was really just about explaining my thinking process at the time and explaining why I think they're important and how to use them and things like that. And it's not just sports betting that you've been into, of course, for people uh, here who might not be familiar with your work. Uh, you've also made a ton of headway in the stock market and you've been working 
in both the sports betting markets and the stock markets as of late. What have you been up to now? Uh, well, I mean, you nailed it. Um, so I, I trade uh, the stock market, specifically vanilla options during market hours. And then when the markets close, I'm back to betting sports. And then during the pandemic, there was uh, quite a bit of crypto trading activity too, but that's kind of died down the last little while. Although recently it's started to show some signs of life again. So that's interesting. Yeah. Crypto has been a very interesting market, especially as of late. I'm curious about that, but I think that's a topic for another podcast because I want to know what, what about, what about the transition from sports to finance? What, what made that happen for you? Why, why is it that you felt the urge to do that? Well, I'm sure that you and your listeners are hoping for a very strategic second order thinking answer. But the truth is that the pandemic hit and shut down basketball <laughs> and <laughs> hockey and turned them into a bit of a circus. Uh, if you remember those days, right, with no no crowds and they're pumping in the fake arena noise and your entire database of statistical information kind of went out the window, like totals went kind of funny and spreads went funny and goals in hockey went funny, and half the team was missing every other game because of uh, COVID protocol isolation. So this happened to coincide at the exact time that I was graduating law school and deciding to, you know, quote unquote, go pro sports betting. So so here I am, like, you know, I've politely turned down an, an offer to article at a law firm, and now I'm going to bet sports for a living, and this is what happens like three months before that. Right. Try to imagine, you know, the the entertainment value of that circumstance. Uh, so basically, um, when I wrote the book, something that was interesting that happened that was also unexpected is that option traders really liked my books uh, because they found some crossover and some similarities. And so I started talking to a couple of fairly prominent option traders, and they sort of encouraged me to maybe look into this because of how similar it was to sports betting. And so that's what I did. Uh, the markets didn't shut down during COVID, as you recalled. We had um, the governments pumping billions of dollars into the markets with you know, their own form of quantitative easing. And so there was a bull rally, a bull market at that time. Everything was pumping and there were some opportunities there. So I got pretty serious about it then. And it, it sort of gave me like a Nassim Taleb anti-fragile angle, right? Like using the same skill set across two different uh, domains. And that's really uh, how it happened. It, it was dumb luck, to be perfectly honest. I, I certainly feel you on the whole taking something, uh, taking something and taking your journey, taking quite a turn because sports shut down. I became a professional Mario Kart commentator during the pandemic. We were all doing strange <laughs> things back then. Um, I want to, I want to go further into this transition here, but before I do that, I have to ask, because you mentioned something before we got started here, and now you've also mentioned law school, as we lost you off your green screen there for a second, but I think oh, there you go. There you go. Uh, now, so you mentioned working construction, bouncing, and then also going to law school, and all of that culminated in professional sports betting and stock trading. How does that, how, how does one go on that journey? Can you walk us through that for a second here? I mean... It really is a strange story. Like, like it doesn't sound real, but that really is the the story, right? Like I graduated from university a very long time ago. I'm over 40 now and there weren't any jobs. Uh, so my social science degree was pretty much worthless. Like I'm getting 
laughed out of jobs. Like I applied to a car dealership once and they were like, well, you basically have no skills. You have to get another degree. So we're not even going to hire you on commission. And I was like, but it's risk-free. If I don't sell anything, you don't have to pay me. They're like, yeah, we don't care. Go away. Um, so at a university, is, uh, I'm a pretty big guy. Uh, I've been boxing for a while, uh, jujitsu for a long time. So I, I got a job as a nightclub bouncer, which was a pretty good job at the time because there was a lot of cash uh, tips and stuff like that. Uh, so I did that for a while. Uh, eventually got into construction, became a journeyman electrician. And um, then the injuries started to pile up. Uh, you know, I'd, I had a couple of broken bones in my feet, uh, a torn rotator cuff, this and that. And I just started thinking, yeah, this is probably uh, close to expiration date on, you know, how much longer I can do this. So I applied to law school, uh, had a great LSAT and got in. Uh, got into law school and realized, you know, this is all right, but you know, it it's not it's not appreciably better than the construction game. Like it, it's it's very different, but in some ways, it you know, it's the same type of treadmill. It's the same it's the same drudgery. And so during law school, I said, you know what, I'm just going to take a shot at something I've been doing on the side for a long time, which is betting sports, and um, and that's that's really how it all it all kind of evolved. It it just seemed like. I might as well take a shot now because I'm not getting any younger, you know. That is really quite a journey there. I can I can relate to that. It's it the long and winding paths that we take, but it eventually leads you here to sports betting and stock trading. The stock traders, they like what yeah, they, they see some similarities in what you're doing in the sports betting world. Would you say that it's easier to go from sports to stocks or from stocks to sports? Because Lord knows it's a path commonly traveled by a lot of people. It is. Uh, there is a lot of crossover. Um, and interestingly, one of the ways that you can tell how much transferability there is between the two domains is that uh, SIG, Susquehanna International Group, they specifically look for people with poker playing experience, advantage blackjack or sports betting experience for, for trainee positions and things like that. Like they're very interested in people that can that understand the that particular domain. And there is a ton of crossover. Personally, obviously, I've only done it one way. I've only gone from sports to markets. So it's hard for me to talk about going the other way. But I think that going from sports to markets is the preferable way. And the reason I say that is because sports betting um, forces you, if you're going to do it profitably, to learn the most important sequence in all of trading, which is, you know, inefficiency spotting, edge estimation, bet sizing, and trade management. And that is the heart of trading markets, trading futures, trading options, trading crypto, um, all of it, right? So, but you can't get anywhere in sports unless you know that. And there are a lot of people in the markets that I think are a little fuzzy on that from time to time. And so I think that it really is the perfect training ground to go from sports to the financial markets. Maybe we should think of starting unabated finance or something like that. Because uh, <laughs> I, I do see that with a lot of our members at unabated is they tend to take this skill that they're learning on the unabated odds screen and they're applying it elsewhere. I've heard a lot of crypto success stories. I've heard a lot of uh, financial investing success stories that I've seen people that now can identify inefficiencies faster. Uh, so, Andrew, your book had a lot of good model ideas. I said that at the at the jump here that there was a lot of good ideas in there. 
how many of those ideas have you taken and used in your financial market trading? Um, a couple of them actually. Um, obviously, there are a few different a few different bells and whistles that you need. But the live total model from Statistical Sports Models in Excel Volume One, where I'm taking advantage of Bet 365's five's uh, live college basketball totals. That model is very, very useful if you add some things and modify it a little bit for modeling uh, option decay. And you can also use it to do some other things like um, probability of the average true range, given the, you know, the current range that the stock has traveled, the average true range and the time left in the trading day. So if you think about those parameters and then you think about the current basketball total, the, the the total line to begin with, and then the time remaining on the game clock, you can see how that sort of time decay process would be a very similar model. So there's a lot of crossover mm -hmm. there. Um, mm -hmm. The second example that I can think of from statistical sports models in Excel volume two, we did a lot of work with Monte Carlo simulations and mm -hmm. simulating using uh, mixed distributions. So mixed models, uh, very simple ones in the book, obviously, because it's Excel and we're trying to kind of ease people into it, or we're talking about prop player props, but that concept is very, very useful for the markets, uh, crypto, as well as stocks, options, futures, all that stuff. That's, that's interesting. Uh, yeah. You know, I know a few options traders and they've told me the same thing. They said a lot of what I've seen from sports betting is, you know, we, we do that in options trading all the time. So yeah, it's a, it's a great crossover. Uh, my next question was going to be, what are some of the lessons you've learned from your sports betting days and transitioning into financial markets? But I know when we were kind of setting up this interview, you had said you're still doing quite a bit of sports betting. So I'm not going to ask what lessons you learned. I'm going to ask what lessons have you applied to uh, to uh, financial markets beyond what you've already said in terms of you know, knowing how to spot inefficiencies? Yeah, I think I think a lot of people get the idea that I've just like quit sports betting because I'm not talking about it as much. But the truth is, I just I like to talk about the the financial markets because it's easier to talk about without giving away any any edge. Um, I've said a lot in my books, I think, and so that's it's sort of like we're getting to the point now where like there's a lot of things that I've figured out over the last few years that I really don't feel like you know posting for a couple hundred likes, you know. <laughs> so, but getting back to your question, Jack. Um, there's, there's a couple, like, obviously it is a simplification to suggest, you know, that, that there's a perfect translation between options trading and sports betting. I'm not trying to suggest that I'm asking people to, to sort of, um, think creatively or broadly about how they're similar when we talk about these things, because there are some very important differences, but some of the similarities and the lessons that you can carry over are the, the Kelly criterion, which tells you if there's no edge, there's no bet. It also tells you that there's more than one way to win, right? You can have a low win rate and a high payoff ratio. You can have a high win rate and a low payoff ratio. So there, you know, this is your favorites or underdogs, like, you know, a favorite strategy can win and underdog strategy can win. Um, that's something that, that is very transferable. Uh, something else would be that pricing matters, price sensitivity matters. Um, obviously the way that you go about being price sensitive in the market is more like waiting for the right entry because it's more like a live a live game like betting situation um but you can't 
you can't cash out the same way that you can in the market in, in sports betting. So that part is a little bit different. But like all things, the price that you get is going to matter. And it matters a whole lot uh, over the long run. You know, not so much when you think about two or three bets, but in sports betting, success means thousands of bets. It means five, six, 10,000 bets. And so price sensitivity is a huge, huge deal. Um, liquidity. Liquidity is a measure of market sharpness. This is true in financial markets mm -hmm. as well as sports betting, right? The more money you can get down on something, the harder it's going to be to beat. And that's why um, a very low liquidity stock that has some options, they're going to have a much larger spread and you're going to be able to move the price around a little bit easier. And that's, that's why you're going to pay a larger spread than, for example, the SPX index, which is massively liquid. Um, and then you can move up to things that are even more liquid, like, uh, you know, foreign exchange pairs or something like that. And off the top of my head, the last thing is probably that second order thinking usually wins the day. Um, you have to think about the consequence of consequences if you want to win. And that's true in sports betting too, because everybody knows the first order obvious thing. Everybody knows who's likely to win. That's not the game you're playing. Everybody knows that, you know, LeBron being out of the lineup is going to change the point spread. That's not the game. It's about the second order effects. It's about how does how does the global offense opportunity of the Lakers get redistributed when LeBron is out of the game, right? And what does that mean for the correlation between points and assists and rebounds, for example, right? So you have to think like that. And that's true in markets, right? Um, with markets, it has more to do, I think, with positioning, but I think again, a comparable concept. Yeah, that that is some great information. Um, all right, let me play devil's advocate here for a little bit. There's going to be people that listen to this and they go, "What are those guys thinking? The stock market is nothing like sports betting. The stock market is completely efficient. I believe in the efficient market hypothesis, and I believe that there's enough efficiency, and there's too many other sharps." out there in the stock market, that there's no way you can find an edge. What do you say to that, Andrew? Well, how much time do you have, Jack? We could talk about that <laughs> a long time. Um, give me the, give me the abridged version. Oh, I'll try to. So one of the books that I wrote, uh, and didn't publish because I didn't want to release it. Uh, I have an entire chapter on this because this is such an annoying argument that I'm so tired of hearing. Um, that I really think it's it's starting to uh, waste people's time on earth, which I think is kind of precious. <laughs> but um, the short version is this. People mischaracterize Eugene Fung's work on efficiency. The man won a Nobel Prize in economics for this. It's not a one-pager, guys. There, there's one paper, then there's addendums to the paper, then there are follow-up papers. Like, it's not a single sentence that you can just scream at people. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, you can if you want to, but um, I would question how useful that is. Um, so, so let's dive into a couple of the nuances, just like the bare bones. Like, first of all, efficiency does not mean perfection. Fama says that in the paper, right? Then he breaks it down into multiple forms of efficiency. You have strong form efficiency, you have semi-strong, and you have weak form efficiency. And there is evidence that both sports and financial markets show periods of less than weak form efficiency. Now, if people are not familiar with those, um, you can read about them all over the place. I mean, there's Wikipedia on them for goodness sakes, but basically strong form efficiency says that 
you can't make any money with private or public information, that there is no additional information on the planet that will allow you to exceed the average return of the market you're playing in. So in the markets, that's the beta drift of the stock market. So you should just buy index funds and hope for the best. And in sports, that means you're going to lose to the average of the VIG. And that is perfect strong form efficiency. Okay, so that basically means give up, uh, buy index funds and go have lunch, right? Then there's semi strong efficiency that basically says that it's only private or semi private information that you can gain an edge over the market with. So obviously, that's illegal in the stock market. Um, we all read the newspaper, it happens from time to time, but it's not exactly a long term strategy. And in sports, private, semi-private information about lineup uh, changes or secret injuries like Joe Burrow's wrist, for example, comes to mind from the NFL the other week. Um, that's the kind of thing that semi-strong says is the only stuff that is going to float your boat. Again, if that's, if that's true, you've got steam chasing, you've got line grinding, uh, maybe some overnight lines, something like that in sports, and that's pretty much it. And then you've got weak form efficiency that basically says that historical data that's publicly available um, can't ever give you an edge. So this is uh, past stock prices. This is uh, where the suggestion that technical analysis drawing lines on charts can't provide you with an edge because it's it's backwards looking and can only show you what has happened, not what will happen. Um, in the sports market, what that means is that publicly available stats, you know, a uh, team's average three point percentage, stuff like that. There's, there can be no edge to be found in that. And those are basically the three forms. Now there are a number of assumptions baked into those as well. Uh, Fama, you know, in his conception of this assumes no transaction costs. Okay. So <laughs> the cracks are starting to show guys. The second thing is there is an assumption, uh, that, that everyone, in the market is going to come to some rational understanding of how to interpret and use the information, which means that there's no disagreement about what the information means. And there again, there are some game theory gaps there that, you know, if you use a little creative thinking, I'm sure you can find some ways to, to make that work in your favor. But there are a number of reasons to to suggest that you can make money even if a market is in the aggregate efficient because the the efficient market hypothesis is an aggregate concept right and the inefficiencies that you're looking for are spot inefficiencies it's not it's not every spread in the nba every game it's one spread here a one half line here a one quarter line there a couple player props on saturday um, similar with the markets, the markets on the aggregate are efficient. The errors do cancel out and provide, you know, pretty good efficiency over the long term. But on different time periods, you can see uh, moments in time that are transient where there are inefficiencies that can be taken advantage of. And I mean, frankly, I can go on about this forever. So you guys just let me know. Well, I think this is fascinating. Uh, I've I kind of feel like. Rufus is going to listen to this and go, we should have got that guy on bet the process. Uh, but no, I mean, this is a, this is a fascinating, and I think this, this probably is the extent of what most listeners will be able to uh, comprehend, not comprehend, but it'll be able to, to swallow of, of this conversation. So I'll probably, I'll nip it off here, but Andrew, if you ever want to discuss this one-on-one, -on -one, I, I found it fascinating and I'd like to kind of explore some more 
correlations sure, yeah. um sure. but yeah no i don't we don't need to hog this conversation with all of that uh but let's touch briefly on information um because i know there's the information flow in financial markets versus the information flow in sports markets are fairly diverse uh First of all, what are what are your sources of information, or broadly your sources of information, when dabbling in financial markets uh, compared to how you would approach sports betting markets? Well, this is an important distinction between the two, for sure. In sports, uh, you largely have to build your own databases. You have to scrape. Um, you have to collect and aggregate the information, the odds data, the you know player data, anything that you think might be relevant to moving the line. Um, it's harder to do. It's a pain. You're constantly having to uh, outrun, you know, scrape prevention and detection on various platforms. Uh, but as a result of all of that pain, the va the value is increased for having the information because it's not that easy to acquire. It actually breaks one of the tenets of market efficiency, not to go back to that, but information has to be you know, equally available to all participants in order for there to be true efficiency, right? Like, like an informational discrepancy can create an inefficiency. Just, just an FYI for people that want to argue about this on my Twitter later. Um, but in the stock market, uh, the difference is that the information is quite easy to acquire. Like most price data is available for free uh, on R. You can get it in Python. You can get it on TradingView. Some uh, information, options, data, stuff like that, you have to pay for, but it, it's it's completely available. It's just a little bit more expensive. So you might get your options or your futures data from the CBOE, the Chicago Board of Options Exchange. Uh, it can be quite pricey if you're looking to get some of that for a back test. Um, I guess that's one of the advantages of a semi-monopoly on the information. But um, those are really the big differences, right? Uh, one of them is free. It's harder to get but the data is more valuable because it's harder to get. The other one, it's widely available, but it can be expensive. And then what about some of the stuff on the, I, I know that you already talked about the first order versus the second order of thinking, but the number one comparison that I can think coming to mind, you have in sports, you have injury reports, things like that. In stocks, you have stuff like earnings reports, uh, projections on, oh, this company has this new product coming out, things like that. It, does information like that carry over is or are you really looking more towards the number side when it comes to stock trading and things like that do you do, how much are you paying attention to the different varieties of news that you don't really have in sports because it's more so about injury reports and who's playing who's not playing and usage rates well this has more in common between the two than you would think i mean i think a lot of people overreact to injury news right in fact most of the time if you if you see, um, you know, an NBA point spread or an NFL point spread steaming on injury news, you could probably get half a point taking the other side right at the moment that it happens because there is an overreaction when it first breaks. Um, that's also true in the stock market, by the way, as well. Um, whether it's uh, FOMC, Fed interest rate decision day, whether it's CPI, whether it's uh, non-farm payroll, jolts, whatever. Um, there does tend to be a moment there when it comes out where there tends to be an overreaction. Um, now, the market is quite sharp. So obviously the implied volatility on options and things usually gets 
pumped way, way up, which reduces your convexity. And so it's not like it's just a free lunch, knowing that there's likely to be an overreaction. These are usually very expensive times to be trading uh, derivative products. But um, the overreaction, the human psychology underlying it is very similar in both. Aside from running for Congress, what are some tips that you might have for someone who wants to get into financial market trading coming from sports? <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I guess uh, running for Congress would be right up there, wouldn't it? Um, cynical, though funny though that is. Um, well, there's a couple of really good resources. I mean, the first thing is to remember that the name of the game is the same thing that hopefully you've mastered or are close to mastering in sports betting, which is like we said before, uh, inefficiency, identification, edge extraction and calculation, bet sizing, trade management. If, if you understand that and you have some kind of a diligent process for that, it doesn't change when you go to the markets. It's just, you're going to have to learn a, a tremendous amount of new language because the terminology is thick in finance. You're also going to have to learn some new concepts, but they're similar to what you would know in sports betting. So for example, volatility is a very important concept in trading, but volatility is really just the standard deviation of log returns. So it's it's similar to the standard deviation of you know a team's point scoring ability or something like that. There, these won't be completely alien concepts to you. You just have to find a way to translate it back to something that you do know so that you can kind of accelerate your learning rate. When it comes to free resources, you should read Ewan Sinclair's three books. Uh, he has three books on options trading, volatility trading, and positional options trading, and they are excellent. Options trading is a good place to start because it is adversarial like sports betting. It is probabilistic like sports betting. And there is there is a lot of common ground from a 30,000 foot view. But his three books are excellent. He has some uh, great interviews on Real Vision that everyone should listen to because again, the crossover is tremendous. You should follow Ewan Sinclair on Twitter. You should follow Darren Johnson on Twitter. And you should follow Robot James on Twitter. And there's another guy who used to work at SIG named uh, Chris Abdelmasi. And he has a website called Moon Tower uh, from the, you know, the Dazed and Confused movie. Uh, but that is his personal kind of homage to, to trading and probabilistic second-order thinking. And it is probably the best free trading resource on the internet so you should definitely check that out um and and i think i think that's probably the the center of mass i mean there's there's other things we can talk about but i think that that would put you in a really good starting point andrew thank you so much for your time thank you for being with us this has been a fantastic conversation if people want to find you and your fantastic work your books um where can they go on the internet well, you can see me on Twitter at GingerFaceKilla. I guess it's X now, but it'll always be Twitter in my heart, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> you can see my books on Amazon uh, worldwide, and I think that's about it. Again, those books are Statistical Sports Models in Excel. Check them out on Amazon. Andrew Mack, thank you so much for being with us here today again, Andrew. Jack, it has been a pleasure as always. We will be back next week, but in the meantime, you guys know the drill. If you like the show, give us that five-star rating, leave a review. It really does help grow the show, grow our audience here. Tell your friends. 
If you don't like us, tell your enemies, make them listen to us instead. We don't care how we get the listens and views. We just want them. You can, of course, check us out on unabated.com. If you're listening to this the week it comes out here, we're still in the end of November. Check out our Black Friday sale going on right now. It's the Cyber Monday week. You can get an entire year of unabated for almost 50% off. It's the best deal you're going to get this year on Unabated. Check it out today. And of course, as always, best of luck and let's cash some tickets. <laughs>